Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. time in the reading of our scripture this morning. We're going to be in Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 25 through 36. If you would and you're able, please stand together as we join together in the reading of God's word. Paul starts out in Romans chapter 11, verse 20, by saying this, I do not want you to be ignorant of the mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election, is, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who are at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too now become disobedient in Two may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. But dear God, we thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity to come together and to hear from your word. God, I pray that our hearts would be receptive of what you are calling us to this morning and that we would leave here with a sense of awe and wonder of who you are. We thank for your love and the gospel that is for everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever 
so grateful to have you with us. And I also want to welcome all of those in Prescott Valley today. So grateful for you as well. If you are a newcomer with us today, we are so glad to have you. Uh, our team would love to connect with you. If you're here at the Prescott campus, you head out to the uh, lobby off to the left. We have a place called Pastor's Point, and I'll be hanging out would love for you to come by and say hi before you leave. There in Prescott Valley, you can always stop by Connection Central and connect with our pastors there as well. So grateful for you. Um, before we dive into our message today, got a couple of quick announcements. Uh, the first is that next week is Easter. How many of y'all excited about Easter? Yeah. Weekend. I hope that you are planning on coming and worshiping with us here at Quad City. A couple of reminders we've got eight opportunities to worship together next weekend. So there's uh, five here at the Prescott campus, there's three at Prescott Valley. We will be offering some Saturday night options, Saturday afternoon. Uh, here in a 4 30 in Prescott Valley. And I would just encourage, especially this room, uh, don't come to this service. Okay, we're already full. There's, I should say hi to the 15, 20 people sitting in the cafe right now because there wasn't enough room for them in here. Um, but love for, if you, if you have a different service, I, I, please do that. Go to the Saturday night or the 11 or 8 or anywhere but here. Okay. Um, on your seat as you came in, there should be a, a, a little invite that has the Easter information on it. Again, we just encourage on the back side of that, there's a place where you can write an invite. There in Prescott Valley, I don't know if you need to pick them up at the Connection Center, if the ushers have them, wherever they are. We've got some connection cards. Make an invite. Bring somebody with you next week. My goal next week is really simple. I just want to share the gospel as simply and as clearly as I can. If you've got just need the hope of Jesus, then we want you to bring them here. Write them an invite and, and bring them with you next week. Uh, last little uh, quick uh, reminder, we have our April packet for our Romans study. So we've been in the book of Romans for a while, and every month we put out uh, content, sermons, uh, and for small groups. So if you would like one of those, you can raise your hand. Our ushers will bring those. Uh, they're also available out in the lobby. And so if you want to grab one of them right now, they'll bring them. Raise your hand if you want one. Uh, if not, grab one at the end of our time together today. So we are in Rome 11 today. Now, just to set the context, we're still in this section of the book of Romans between 9 and 11 that we've been calling the hard news. It's hard because it's hard for the people to hear this the first time. This would have been hard for them to hear. They didn't want to hear this. Uh, for many, it's hard to understand, hard to teach. So it, we call it the hard news. And the whole idea behind this whole section is Paul is addressing one big issue. And the big issue is that as he looks at the church, he's writing to a group of people, the church in the, in the city of Rome. He looks around of Gentiles, which means they're not Jewish people. There's very few Jewish people. What happened to the Jewish people? Jesus was their promised Messiah. Why aren't they following him? Why, why isn't the, the, the Jewish nation following after Jesus? And there's this question that rises up in the minds of the Gentiles. Look, if weren't they his chosen people? Didn't he make them great promises? Well, if he doesn't fulfill his promises to them, how can I be confident he'll fulfill his promises to me? If he can't say 
people. How can I be sure he can save me? And so that's been this conundrum that we've been talking about for the last few weeks through chapter 9 and through 11. So Paul's addressing this. And today we're going we're gonna to continue having this conversation. Just as true in our world, as we look around this room today, there are very few Jewish people among us. There's very few Jewish people following Jesus throughout the world today. In fact, if you go to Israel today, if you go to Israel, if you head to the very nation where Christ was born, Messiah was raised, where he, where he did his ministry, where he taught and where he healed, where he died and where he resurrected. If you go to the homeland of the Messiah today, to the place where his ancestry is traced, 1.9% of those people follow Jesus today. That's it. 1.9% are Christ followers. And so even though Paul has told us God's word hasn't failed, it, it, it looks like it has. It looks like it has. His, his, God's promises to this has not come to pass. In fact, as you, if you have your Bibles there in chapter, at the end of chapter 11, you just go to the, to the paragraphs we looked at last week. It says, look, these Jewish people, they're like branches that have been broken off from the tree. They aren't part of God's family anymore. The Gentiles have been, but the ethnic Jews, they've been cut off and they are out. And so what are we supposed to make of that as Jesus followers? Is this the end of the story for the ethnic Jewish nation? And as we're going to see today, the answer to that is this is not the end. And here's how Paul wraps up this section. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all will be saved. So he's talking to the church in Rome, mostly Gentiles. He says, hey, hey, Gentiles, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. I don't want you to be ignorant. And the reason I don't want you to be ignorant, because if you're ignorant about what's happening, then you'll become conceited. And we don't want you to be conceited. Israel as a whole has experienced a hardening in part, not all of them, Paul's, Paul's a Jewish person. Not all of them have been hardened, but the vast majority, they've, they've experienced a hardening in part until, until what? Until all of the Gentiles have come in. So there's Gentiles that God wants to save, and they're not all in yet. But, but until they do, they're, the, Israel, the nation of Israel, they're going to be hardened toward God. Then he says, once all of the Gentiles has come in, then in this way, all Israel will be saved. just want to stop here for just a second. Because these nine words, and yes, there are nine words. I know you're going to count them. There are nine words. Those nine words right there are the beginning, at the beginning of verse 26. So much confusion and debate over the centuries. What does Paul mean when he says, all Israel will be saved. What does he mean? Now, I have to just, today's going to be like a lecture, okay? This is like a, a teaching 
preaching. And I'm sorry for that. For those of you who want a better sermon, I hope you come back next week. But I just want to walk this, I just want to share this with you. Because again, there's been a lot of people who spent a lot of time debating this. This is one of the most difficult texts, not just in Romans, but in all of the Bible. And doubt and confusion around what does Paul mean by this phrase, all Israel will be saved. So I just want to share with you, help you to think through it a little bit, and then see if we can come up with some point at the end. All right, here we go. There's really three big ideas of what he means when he says all Israel. So let me just share them with you first, and then we'll talk about each of them. One, some people think it means all Jewish people ever. If you are an ethnic Jew, you are in. Like there's going to be a day where all Israel, everyone who came from the, the family tree of Abraham, they're all going to make saved. They're going to be in the kingdom of God with Jesus at some point. Doesn't matter what they do now. Just because they're Jews, they're getting into heaven. Okay, so there's some who say that's what he means when he says all Israel. He means all Jewish people ever from the history of time till now, they're going to be saved. Here's second option. Only spiritual Israel will be saved. When he says all Israel, he's actually talking about not just all Jewish people, but this group that we would call true Jews or true Israel. We talked about this a few weeks ago. I'll explain it again in just a moment. But that's the second option. He's not really talking about all Jews, but true Jews. There in a minute. Number three option is that there will be at the end of days a, a revival among the ethnic Jewish people so before Jesus comes back, there will be a day when the nation of Israel as a whole comes to faith at, with Jesus as their and and the nation as a whole will be saved. Okay, so those are the three options. And I want to take a couple of minutes to just walk through each of them real quick. So let's start with the first one. When Paul says, all Israel be saved, there's some who say that what he means is that if you are a Jewish person, if you come if you have ethnic Jewish blood running through you, then you will be saved. Now, there are very few scholars, biblical scholars, who believe this one. But I think this is the vast majority of most Christians who believe this one. Or at least we behave as if this is true. There's this rise in evangelical Christianity, especially in America, where we have come to love and adore and honor the Jewish heritage of our faith, where we recognize comes out of the Jewish people. And, and most of the Christians that we would know and are connected to, they would say, look, we love and we worship the same God as the Jews do. We have the same God as our father. Even if we do it in different ways, we share the same values as they do. All of them, they are Judeo-Christian values, Jewish-Christian values. It's all the same. We're, in fact, we're kind of like, we're all on the same team, us and the Jews. Like we have the same 10 commandments that we like to hang in our home. It's like we're distant cousins, like family reunion, and you've got some distant cousins and we aren't close and they look a little different, but we share the same great, 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 great grandfather. So we're all kind of on the same team. Okay. If you ask most evangelicals, they overwhelmingly support the nation of Israel, which is 
good and right, but somewhere wrapped up in that support of Israel and in that in the support of our same values and our same view as God the Father, there's become this belief somewhere in there that we don't really need to worry about Jewish people to Jesus. Sure, we need to convert the Muslims and we need to convert the Buddhists and we need to convert the atheists, of course, but the Jews, ah, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. For whatever reason, Most Christians, the Jewish people don't need Jesus. There's this unspoken assumption that somehow they're going to find their own track and they'll get into heaven and we don't really need to worry about them. And I just need to tell you today that that goes against everything that we read in Scripture, read in the book of Romans. But let's start not in Romans. We'll come back to Romans. Let's start with Jesus himself. Here's what Jesus says in John 14. John, Jesus makes this declaration. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father. You know who's included in no one? The Jewish people. No one comes to the Father. Nobody gets in outside of Jesus. Nobody. Do you remember when Jesus came in the moment of the what we call the triumphal Entry, which is actually today. Do you remember when Jesus came in? And in Luke chapter 19, it, we see this story of Jesus getting ready to come into Jerusalem before the palms are waved, before he gets into the, before the people are chanting. Jesus has this moment where he's standing on top of olives. And he's standing there. And I took this picture standing in that place. And from that top of the Mount of Olives, before you, before you descend down into the Kidron Valley and come back up to the city on the other side, you have this Temple Mount. That's all of this big, giant area. All of those trees Temple Mount. And when Jesus stood there, there wouldn't have been the Dome of the Rock there. There would have been the, the Solomon's Temple or Herod's Temple would have been standing in that place. And Jesus is there, and he's standing there at the top of the Mount of Olives, and he's looking across to the city of Jerusalem. And here, he tells us happened. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Jesus stands there and he looks over the heart breaks and he begins to weep. And he says, oh my goodness, I wish you would have let me be your Messiah. If you would have only let me be your Messiah, but now you've missed it. Oh, how I wish I could have gathered you up as a hen gathers her chicken. Does that sound? Like someone who believes that all Jews are going to get in no matter what? Why would he weep if he he believed that there was some special path that's going to get them in without him? It's Jesus, this very same Paul who declared all Israel will be saved. He has no illusion that every ethnic Jew from all time will be saved. In fact, this whole letter that we call the book of Romans the whole thing is just trying to proclaim the 
gets in is by grace through faith in Jesus. There's no other option. Paul said it this way back in chapter one. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There's a salvation that comes, but it comes only to those who believe. You have to believe that is provided by God through Christ. That's the only way you're getting in. It's for everyone who believes first for the Jew. It was offered first to the Jewish people to believe in Jesus as their Messiah. There's no other option but faith in Jesus. He continues in chapter 2. To by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human who does evil. Every first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. There will be trouble and distress for every human who rejects Jesus as their Lord. First for the Jew. They don't get a special pass. There is no cheat code. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. There's not a preferential treatment for for entering into the kingdom for some over another. They all get in the same way. By faith in Jesus. Let's go back to the beginning of this section. Chapter 9 where Paul begins to answer this whole question about what's happening with the Jewish people. He, do you remember how the whole conversation started back in chapter 9? Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people those of my own race, for the people of Israel. Paul gets to this place in Romans chapter 9, and he begins this whole conversation about the ethnic Jews. Oh, my heart is broken for them. And I, I wish, I wish that I could take their place. I would, I would wish that I were cut off from Christ. I would give up my own salvation. I would trade places with them in their place if they could experience the salvation that comes through Jesus. And again, I would ask, why would Paul, if he believed that all ethnic Jews were going to be saved just because they're Jews, if he kind of special side door entrance into the kingdom outside of Jesus, if he believed at the end of the day that all would be invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, and then why would he be in unceasing anguish for the people of his own race if he actually believed that? Say, I would be willing to cash in my own faith, my own salvation if he thought that they were going to be in, why would he be willing to trade places and go to hell on their behalf if he truly believed they were all going to 
anyway? And the answer is because he knows. He knows there's actually not another way. Without faith in Jesus, no one is saved. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim, an atheist, a Jew, a Gentile. You need Jesus. In fact, again, we go back to the text right before we get to the end of Romans 11, right there in the middle. Paul says, there's one tree. There's one tree. There's one root, one trunk, one tree. And they've been broken off of that tree. Crafted in, but the only people who are getting into the kingdom are all attached to this one tree. There's not two trees. There's not a Gentile tree and a Jewish tree. There's one tree. There's one tree. And then we just think of it practically for just a moment. Do we, do you really, Jewish people are going to get in just for the sake of being Jewish? Does that really make sense? Jezebel was a Jew. You think she's getting in? Right? What about Judas? Judas was a Jew. Anybody have an illusion that Judas is in the kingdom of God today? He's got Jewish blood running through him. What about the thief on the cross? Not that one, the other one. Remember there were two. One was promised, today you will be with me in paradise. The other had no such promise. What about the 450 prophets of Baal? They what about the Pharisees that Jesus spent so much time correcting and rebuking and, and calling down curses upon? Woe to you. Think they're in? The answer is no. No one believes that. The idea that Paul means all ethnic Jews from just isn't biblical. So let's talk about this second option. Remember the second option? That some believe that Paul was talking about spiritual Israel. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Let me remind us of what we mean by spiritual Israel. So again, you have two groups of people. and You've got Jews, right? And then you've got non-Jews, otherwise known as Gentiles, right? And there's a lot more Gentiles in the world than there are Jews, okay? Now, again, this would be the nation, anybody ethnic they would be in this camp, and then everybody who's not an ethnic Jew. But Paul says, as we've learned throughout the book of Romans, there's actually, he says, not all Jews are Jews. And not all who are of Israel are Israel. That there's, it's not about having the, the DNA of Abraham that makes you a Jew. It's about having Abraham. And so you don't have to actually be Jewish to be a part of true Israel. He says, actually, what true Israel is made up of is there's a lot of Gentiles, and then there's a remnant of Jews. And this, this would be true Israel. These are the true Jews. These are the Christians. These are the ones who follow Jesus. This is the true Israel who have put their faith in Jesus, both Gentiles and Jews, converts and the remnant. And together they make up true Israel. So that's, there's some who say that's what Paul's talking about. When he says all Israel will be saved, he's talking 
true Israel. All of these people who are followers of Jesus make up true Israel. And this is what he means when he says all Israel means all the true Israel. Now, if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have probably been in this camp. In my study over the years through Romans, I would have probably been here. But as we've worked through it over the last year, as I've been studying it for a year, I see some problems with this, with this idea, okay? And the problems actually come right from these verses. So let's go back to 25. Look at what it says. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters. So again, he's talking to the church, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel. So a couple of things. First is about this word mystery. What's a mystery? Well, mystery is not something about mysterious, that there's something out there happening and no one knows what's happening. It's not the word mystery in scripture. Mystery means something that was once revealed. I'm sorry, once concealed, but has now been revealed. Mystery is something have the capacity to figure out on our own, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, it has been made known. And so Paul says, hey, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, about this mystery. There was something once that was unknown, but now it has become known. So if Paul was talking about, hey, mystery is that all of the believers in Jesus, both Gentiles and Jews, they're getting in. Like what? There's no mystery in that, Paul. Everybody knows that. Everybody who has faith in Jesus is getting in, both Jews and Gentiles. So it wouldn't make sense for him to call. Everybody already believed that all the Gentile believers and the remnant of Israel, they're all getting in. Nobody is confused about that, has never been confused about that. So that can't be what he means by all Israel. Here's the second issue. He says, Israel experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. To which again, if we say, if he's talking about the true Israel, has true Israel experienced a hardening? No. All the Gentiles who make up, they haven't been hardened. The remnant of Jewish people who are followers of Jesus, they have not been hardened. Who has been hardened? All of the nation of Israel that hasn't made Jesus their Messiah. They have been hardened in part until the number of Gentiles. So again, it wouldn't make any sense for him to say all Israel means the true Israel because the true Israel has never been hardened. They've always been open to Jesus as Messiah. And so this has to mean the nation of Israel. And they have been hardened come in, which means that if this Israel, this word Israel means the nation, in the same sentence, we have to assume this same word Israel that he's talking about the nation. We can't put two separate meanings to the same sentence. So again, that's why I don't think the second, I'm sorry, I don't think that second option is the best option, which leaves us with the third option. And what is the third option again? That before Jesus comes back, there's going to be this massive revival whereby the nation 
as a whole comes to submit and surrender to Jesus as Lord, and they come to faith in him. That God is not going to create some kind of special pathway for them. Instead, they are going to come to a place where they repent and believe the good news. Where they're going to repent and be grafted back into the tree. Remember what he told us last week? And if they, meaning the nation of Israel, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in again for God is able to graft them in. Like, I think that's what he's talking about. There's going to be a day when this happens where they repent of their unbelief and God of Israel back into his family tree. And again, this would be the mystery. Like for him to reveal that to us, this makes no sense to us. That Jewish people are going to come to faith in Jesus. That's a mystery. That's something that none of us see coming right now. That's something that none that's going to happen. That humanly speaking, we wouldn't be able to figure that out. Let's jump down to verse 28. As far as the gospel is concerned, they're enemies for your sake. Right now, they're hardened so that the full number of Gentiles can come in. is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gift and his call are irrevocable. This whole section is centered around one question. Has God's word failed the Jewish people? And Paul's final answer is no. There's going to be a day when the nation of Israel as a whole, he's made promises to the patriarchs, and he's going to keep those promises that this nation as a whole is going to come to faith in Jesus. Just as you were at one time disobedient, Gentiles, just as you were disobedient to God and have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, have now become disobedient in order, I'm sorry, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they may, so that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that they, so that he may have mercy. Let me try to say that a little more clearly. There was one day when you were disobedient and they were in, and God showed mercy by allowing you to be in while they were hardened. And now, they see your mercy, and they're walking in disobedience. There's going to be a day when that hardening goes away, and they're going to receive the same mercy that you have received. We've all been bound over to the side of disobedience so that, so that he may have mercy on us all. That's the promise. That's one day going to pass. Now I want to look at how Paul ends this section of Romans, chapters 9 through 11. We've dubbed this the hard news because sometimes it's hard to understand. It's really hard to teach, and it would have been really hard for the, these Jewish people to hear. This section, we've been dealing with this terrible tension, this tension between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And are we chosen or do we get to choose? Does God foreknew or is everyone predestined? Does everyone get a chance to be saved or does only a select few get a chance to be saved? And what about to make it in or has God failed them? Like there's this, all of this tension in these chapters, all of this stuff that seems to give us more questions than answers at the end of the day. And so So what should we do as Jesus followers, as disciples of Christ, when we 
scriptures that we don't understand? What should we do when we find tension in scripture that we can't seem to make to make work in our own mind? What should we do when, when we bump into parts of the Bible like this that just make no sense? What should we do? And the answer is, we should do what Paul does. And what does Paul do? He worships. He has this doxology. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgment. Paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. When he gets to this uncertainty and questions and mysteries that comes from this text, he worships. And what does he tell us? That God has more wisdom than we have. God has more knowledge than we have. His mind is unsearchable. If you find yourself thinking, when you come to a place in Scripture or an understanding of something that's taught by the Word of God, and you get to the place where you think, that's just not right. God shouldn't do that. God can't do that. That can't be how God operates. If I were God, like that. You just remember, you're not God. There's a pastor named J. Vernon McGee who had a great line. He says, God made a universe and he's got a plan for it. You may have a better plan, but you don't have a universe. Here's the reality. If you were God, if you knew what he knew, if you had his wisdom, if you could love like he loves, if you God, here's what I know. You would do everything exactly as God has done it. Everything. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has, who has known his mind? Who has been his counselor? funny because the answer is all y'all that's the answer every one of us at some point have looked at God and said God you should not do that and you ought to do this you've tried to tell God what to do you've given God advice God this isn't really working you should do something different who has ever given to God that God should repay him I mean think about this for just a moment there are some of us who are, who are so foolish that we think God owes us something. That God owes us, that God owes me anything. God owes you nothing. Not even an explanation of why it is that he does what he does. He owes you nothing. But, and Paul knows. He knows. And to ask God to explain anything. He understands that from him and through him and for him are all things. Thus he gets all the glory. You get no glory. There's never going to be a day when you get into heaven. He gets glory forever. There's no 
we're all in heaven, that he's going to have all of us line up and he's going to say, hey, all of you great American wise Christians, why don't you step forward so we can praise you? Not going to happen. He gets all the glory forever. And so when it is that we bump up against that don't make sense, that we can't understand, just, just worship the fact that there's a God who's bigger than you. Because here's what I know. If you worship a God that your little pea brain can get all figured out, that ain't a God worth worshiping. So every time us that there, there is wisdom and knowledge that goes beyond what we can comprehend, that ought to be a moment that causes us to drop to our knees and worship because our God is so much greater than we are. So today, I want to end our time in this same way that Paul did. I want to end it by worshiping. So the band's going to come and we're going to sing. We're just going to praise him. We're going to praise him because he's bigger than us and smarter than us and greater than us. And even though we can't understand it, we're just going to worship because he is worth all our glory. Father, we are grateful today that you are bigger than us and your mind is greater than us and we can't figure all of this out. We don't know how you're going to do what you're going to do, but we trust that you're going to do it by grace, through faith, in Jesus, by your love for your people, all of them, Jews and Gentiles alike. Receive our worship in the humility that we bring. it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me right now? Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.